Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. And it's almost Christmas. I can hear Santa on the roof already. Maybe I should look to see who's on the roof because it's not his time yet. And we're in a basement. We shouldn't even be hearing anything. (laughs) Though we do hear people up on the first floor sometimes. Along with other things. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How's it going, Tim? Pretty good. Got a lollipop. Nice. Yeah, I went to the Christmas bank came early. <laughs> Every time I go to the bank, I get a lollipop. It's one of those kind of like I don't know how to describe the the bank lollipops. They're like they're the good ones. There's no no frills, just a disc. Yeah. It's like they use a different kind of sugar or something. It seems like I don't I don't know. They're not as like uh flavor packed as say like a blow pop or a tootsie pop or something well i'm getting on in years i uh you know i I can only handle so much yeah well that's true for me too actually um lollipops in general i don't really do anymore i feel like they're just they're just rough on the teeth make my mouth feel all weird (laughs) when i was at the bank i um I saw the new uh, hundreds. Have you seen a hundred dollar bill in the past couple months? <laughs> oh, have I? <laughs> this was my first. I got so. stacks of them, Tim. <laughs> they, I guess they changed them in October, so I guess it's been two months since I've seen a hundred dollar bill. <laughs> yeah, um, I have. I have not seen a hundred dollar bill. They look fake. There's like it looks like somebody just put blue tape down the middle of it. It's like a. I think I saw a picture online when they said that. When they announced that they were going to be changing it? It's like they took Monopoly money and put blue tape on it. Yeah, that's really weird. It's not even the same color as the rest of the bills. It's like grayish, more than green. Weirded me out. Yeah, soon money is just going to be just this odd mishmash collage of various materials that will be completely indistinguishable. And it's... I mean, I'm not, like, complaining about it. It's just an observation that mm-hmm. it looks odd. Yeah. Like, in a couple of years, I'll just be like, oh, that's money. But it's not like, this is a travesty. How they should they? How dare they sully Benjamin Franklin by putting him on this piece of garbage. <laughs> I'd wipe my ass with that bill. Looks like something my kindergartner would make. Uh, I've had people do that with bills, and then they end up getting passed around, and we're all just, we all have wallets full of feces. That's what they say, you know, that I can't remember the percentage, but it's some shockingly high percentage of singles, especially, um, you know, I've been in various places, uh, in strip clubs and, uh, you know, used for drugs and all sorts of weird stuff. And the ones hardly ever get replaced. I think there's like most of the ones in circulation, like they don't print a lot of new ones. I don't know. Maybe that's not know. true. Yeah, when uh, when Gavin worked at a strip club, he had like that's when he started just using um what's the oh, what's the, I lost the word, like Germax, the disinfectant for your hands, the uh disinfectant, I guess is a fine word. Um like he started using that like all the time just mm-hmm. cuz like it's just scummy it was, in there. Yeah. yeah I should point out he was a DJ at a strip club 
Did he get tips too? Uh, I don't know. Well, I guess um, the dancers would give him a, a percentage or something. I'm not sure how it worked. But he ended up dealing with a lot of bills. Mm. And he, you know, kept himself safe. But the irony of it is, of course, that those bills are going into circulation anyway. And chances are you've already handled bills that have been in those situations. Those uh, unfortunate situations. Stuck in the ass crack. Stuffed up the nose. When I was a cashier... Sometimes at the same time. Oh, good lord. (laughs) When I was a cashier, I would always use um, the disinfectant. But mostly when... Like, not so much just when dealing with the money, but when... I hate when somebody hands you something, like they're handing you the money to pay, and they have to touch your hand. Like, you put your hand in a way where they can just... Drop the money on. Yeah, but they insist on just, like, bringing their hand down... And, like, making the content. Like, I don't... Especially, I worked in Lake George, and it's like, those aren't even people. They're just tourists. I don't like tourists touching me. They don't deserve to touch me. They're tourists. <laughs> yeah. And where were you working? House of Frankenstein yeah. and Dr. Morbids. <laughs> You're far better than all those tourists. They don't deserve to touch the hand of Dr. Morbid. This is true. But, anyway... Um, have you been watching a lot of movies lately? Um, yeah, last night, right before I went to bed, I watched The Perks of Being a Wallflower for the first time. <clears throat> now, are there multiple versions of that movie? For some reason, I thought, because I know one recently came out. Like, yeah, last, last year. Last year, right. 2012. Was there a version before that? Uh, I don't believe ever? so. This okay. one is directed by the guy who wrote the book. Really? I didn't know yeah. that. Which doesn't happen often. I think... I can't think... Well, Dalton Trumbo directed the version of Johnny Got His Gun, and he had written the book. Um, I haven't seen that. But it's not a common thing. Mm. And uh, I, en- I enjoyed the book, uh, which I just read a few years ago. I wish I'd read it when I was a teenager. I've, um, I've never read it, actually. It's one of those things that, like, you know, in high school, it gets passed around. and Yeah, I think... He- Everyone kind of discovered it. I'm not sure it. when it came out. I feel like it came out when I was in high school, maybe starting high school. So I, I didn't hear about it until like uh. later. Um, and then our friend Gavin, who I'll mention again, gave it to me at one point. Um, and then I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't get around to reading it until um, uh, May 2010. Uh, Memorial Day weekend, 2010, I finished reading it at, in the gazebo by the Colonel Library. Hmm. I know that gazebo. It's a good gazebo. Or bandstand, if you will, since it's not round, but whatever. Um, but I actually think I enjoyed the movie more. Hmm. It's, there's not a lot of difference. Obviously, you know, it's a movie, they leave stuff out, and, like, stuff gets, like, streamlined. But I just, um, I just thought it worked better as a film than as a book. And I think it's the first film I've seen... That had um, <clears throat> uh, Emma Watson in it, and um, I see what everybody's talking about. She's a fine actress. Okay, now there are a lot of uh, Emmas and Watsons and all sorts of actresses, and I always get them confused. Hermione. Emma Watson is the Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, okay, she's Hermione, right? 
And she's also in The Bling Ring, which I haven't seen yet. Yeah, I get her confused sometimes, like when people talk about it with like um, Emma Stone. And for some reason, like Emily Blunt. And Emma Thompson. And Emma Thompson, yeah. And Emily Mortimer. I feel like there's another one too. Cause I, I get I them. Was... I get them all like mixed up in my in my head. Who was the actress in Punch Drunk Love? That's an Emily, right? Mortimer. That's Mortimer. Okay. And wait, was it? Oh, and I she don't know. was also in Lovely and Amazing and um, the Life and Death of Peter Sellers. Right. Yeah, the Life and Death. I saw that. I she. I think she's an Emily. Pretty sure it's Emily. Yeah, that's Emily Mortimer then. So who's Emma Thompson? She was in um, Howard's End and Sense and Sensibility, which she also wrote the screenplay for. And um, she's in uh, Saving Mr. Banks. That's coming out this oh, Christmas. Oh, okay. Yeah, the the Tom Hanks, Walt Disney. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of those uh, those actresses around. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, what else did I... Oh, I also saw Blue Sunshine, and um, Black Girl, and uh, other things I can't remember. Oh, The Sugarland Express, the Steven Spielberg film, his first uh, theatrical... Oh, right, picture. yeah, the yeah. pre-Jaws. Yep, post-Duel, but post-Duel, pre-Jaws. Post-Duel, pre-Jaws. Um, yeah, I've never seen it. How was it? I really liked it. Um... It's one of those things where, you know, like, watching it from the future, right. if you will. Looking, looking back on it. And, like, I, I was never uh, into Spielberg. Um, in recent years, like, looking back at my life, I realized that I've just been being, like, a snob. And this is like, I was like, oh, it's just fun. It's not, I, I don't know. Well, not recent years. That's I like, don't like to have fun. Fuck fun. What, that's not what movies are about. <laughs> <laughs> it's about serious works of art, like eyeball. <laughs> um, exactly. But like, I, I, but, um, I don't know. I've been trying to get into them. And I mean, I've seen all like, well, most of like the big movies, but like, I, and he's got a lot of them. Yeah. That's but, what's impressive about Spielberg is that, I mean, he's, he's made a lot of, of really great movies, but like Sugarland Express definitely has its faults, but it's interesting to look at it and just see what a great, um, just like, I don't want to say technician, I guess he is, but just like his technique. Mm hmm. Is it's already there, and just the way the camera moves, and like the way things are framed, and everything, and of course, there's even in that early film, which isn't even like a real spectacle. I mean, it's a big car chase, but and it's got a few of those like kind of like Blues Brothers car crash type moments. Um, there's still those shots that he seems to always have in his movies of like people looking at something in awe. Hmm. Yeah, now that you mention it, I can think of a lot of shots like that mm. in his movies. Like, you know, Jurassic Park and E.T., Close Encounters, yeah. Jaws, Indiana Jones, they're always looking in awe. But, I mean, but that's kind of, that goes in just into, this just goes along with the kind of movie that he makes. Like yeah. Because you as the audience are also sort of looking on in awe. But a lot of directors, they just 
will give you whatever you're supposed to be awestruck by. But then Spielberg is like, he'll show you how like the characters in the film that you're already emotionally involved in are reacting to it mm-hmm. to sort of like lead you into, into reacting in a similar way before he'll show what. Right. The, and the, the one that really comes to mind is in Jurassic Park when they're first on the first Sam Neill like, takes Laura Dern's head and. Oh, when they first get when there. they first oh, okay. come in yeah. and they like and they're like going along in the jeep and they're like where are the dinosaurs and they're kind of trying to see through the okay. the uh, the bushes and stuff and they can't really see any and then they finally see the uh, the brachiosauruses or maybe in that time it was brontosaurus or whatever they were calling those. So the, that is, the long I think neck. that is a scene that when and Laura Dern's like looking at like some plant life and being right, like, yeah, oh, and like Sam Neill's like looking and he's like he's already seen it yeah. and she's like oh look over there that's like this is thing and then she yeah he moves her head and they kind of like sit up out of the jeep and I, if my memory serves like it's a while before we cut to what they finally see mm-hmm. and we cut to like you know the big wide shot and it's like the music comes in and yeah it's pretty epic. And it, yeah, it totally gets you in that like, oh my god, this is unbelievable or amazing. And I think even in um, like it's not always just like oh like how cool is that, but I haven't seen Schindler's List, but like I've seen like clips. And isn't there a scene where they're like looking over the ghetto or something when the Nazis are going and grabbing people, and like first it shows. I have Schindler's never seen Schindler's List either. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I have it on DVD. I bought it a long time ago. But it's one of those movies where it's like, <laughs> when you're trying to decide what you want to watch, <laughs> uh, you're know, like, let's have a movie night. What do I want to watch? Schindler's List doesn't usually come to the top. It sounds like a bit of a mind. downer. Yeah. That's like, I, I like, I've, come, I've almost watched it a, a few times, but I'm like, I don't know if I can like deal with this right now. But my in my mind, it's probably way worse than what the movie actually is. And I've seen like a lot of I've seen movies that are probably way that sh- depict things that are way more um, I don't know depressing, I guess, or hard to watch. I don't really know how hardcore it gets. Well, I mean, I don't I mean, think I, there's... I know certain things, but I mean, again, I don't really know. But I think as far as like graphic imagery. I don't. I don't think it's like too intense. I think it's just the subject matter. And yeah, that's the just, serious way in which it's handled. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. You got to be in that kind of Holocaust mindset. And I, I guess I'm not really in that mindset very often. I don't know if I've ever been in that mindset. I mean, I've watched films about the Holocaust, but. Um. Yeah, I've owned The Color Purple for a few years. I never got around to watching it. And yeah, I haven't seen that one either. I just got Minority Report at the Crandall Library book sale uh, a couple months ago. I haven't watched that yet. Although that's, I believe, more like fun than The Color Purple or Shimmer's List, <laughs> based on what I've heard. I, I heard don't know. It, I, I took it very, very hard. Also. It really uh, forced me to reevaluate my morals and ideals as a human being. Yeah. No, Minority Report is good, um, but it is it is more like you know, it's a fun kind of time. Like I've heard it placed in sort of like, um, I guess like a period of his career um, between 
Amistad and The Terminal, where he did like a bunch of like really good, like great movies. Yeah, Catch Me If You Can. AI. Which I love AI. I know AI a lot of people are polarized with AI. Um, yeah, really um, you know I have. That's actually what turned me around as far as Spielberg is concerned. We wa- I was I took a, a Kubrick class hmm. at Purchase and we watched that film because um, it was the last film that Kubrick had been in- involved in. We watched all of his films um, because he did so few that we could fit it into like one a week for the whole semester. Hmm. And I was just like, I gotta watch more Spielberg. I haven't been paying attention to this guy. Yeah, I um I I haven't seen AI in a long time. Um probably since it first came out on DVD or video or I don't even remember how I watched it. Oh, was that 2001? Or, or 1999? It was 01 or 02, I think. Okay. Yeah, I think it was 01. Um right, cuz Eyes Wide Shut was 1999. Yeah. Um yeah, and I mean, like, it was one of those first movies where I was of an age where I was suddenly becoming much more sort of critical about, like, movies. Mm. And suddenly it was like, you know, oh, there are, like, these mainstream movies, and then there are these, like, you know, like, the real movies. And, yeah, so I don't know, after like after AI, like... I'm even guilty of, of kind of talking bad about Spielberg in his later career. Yeah. Being like, why doesn't he, you know, do better like he did back in the eighties? Um, with Temple of Doom, that, that masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, as I've like kind of grown older and like really thought about that whole like sort of argument, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Like Steven Spielberg is a fantastic filmmaker and he's made a lot of great films and it's it's kind of unfair to like paint him in this sort of like, you know, as this shell of his former glory or everybody has to every, I think everybody who's interested in film has to go through some sort of anti Spielberg phase. (laughs) There are some people who it just lasts their whole life, unfortunately, Mm. but I think everybody just has to like, because I mean the past few decades, he's like the commercial filmmaker right um and i mean he like basically invented the blockbuster Mm. um and he he was just like one success after another just like home run home run home run every film that he made um and his films appeal to such a wide audience there Um, there have been speed bumps like 1941 right and, and um and Temple of Doom. Although, I mean, financially, at least, Temple of Doom was a huge success. But Yeah, but, and, and I mean, this is also from the perspective of someone who was, you know, a kid during the 80s and who grew up watching Indiana Jones. Yeah, and E.T. And, and E.T., yeah. Um, so there is there is the nostalgia factor also, yeah. which I think a lot of people, when they sort of criticize... Um, films or filmmakers it's hard to kind of detach yourself from like how you experienced it as a kid because like you'll never experience any movie the same way that you did when you were a kid um some movies kind of can come close um that just kind of like 
I don't know, transport you in that in that same way. But it still isn't like I mean, when you're a kid, you like you you watch the same movies over and over and over and over again, and they become just ingrained into your into your mind. Um, it's unfair to expect Steven Spielberg to keep doing that for you as you grow up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like I don't know. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, so I don't know. Uh, because when you really say like you know oh like how many bad movies like he uh, like I could I've heard people say that he's like a bad filmmaker and my sort of comeback is like lists like his bad movies you know and it's like like maybe if you could even like count I don't know three or four or something that's still his great films outweigh that and even number. the bad films like you know like I just said a couple times like mm-hmm. Temple Doom I think is a bad film it's a well made film. It's made by somebody who knows what he's doing. And I personally I just don't, don't know why he did that. <laughs> I personally don't think it's a bad film at all. I think it's uh especially in like hindsight, like just looking at like the Indiana Jones movies. Together. Like I've only seen the first two, so You haven't seen Last Crusade? No. Or Kingdom of the Crystal whatever Skull? Yeah. Kingdom Skull. of Crystal Skull. Yeah. Um And there's a new one coming out. I mean, right? if Temple of Doom didn't exist, like I would be sad because Temple of Doom is like, it's fucking weird, but like, that's cool. It's like, I can imagine how when people are, you know, when there's the anticipation of it coming out, like after Raiders of the Lost Ark, which was like this huge success and it it sort of brought back this whole genre of adventure film that hadn't been seen in like a long, long time. And like, it was presenting it in this like modern way. And it was totally new and cool if you're expecting like that same exact thing. And, you know, Temple of Doom is much more lighthearted. It's it's at the same time lighthearted and like really dark and gross. Messed up stuff happens in that movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really fucking weird shit with like, you know, I mean, child abuse, like pretty graphic, like creepy child abuse, too. And the heart is just uh, hearts being ripped out of their chest, and like and even mon- the, eating monkey brains, and like the bugs, the snakes, and, like, just all the, kinds the baby of just, snakes that just oh yeah, they, yeah, they slither out of they slice open the yeah. yeah. I saw I loved Temple of Doom when I was a little kid, and I saw it on TV. Yeah, and then I didn't see Raiders until a few years later, and I think watching Raiders made me not like Temple of Doom because I was like, oh, it could have been more like this. Yeah, but see, but, then that's where yeah, like. I kind of sep- I don't know. But I also just I don't like what's it Kate Capshaw, which I understand yes they were married or they were going to be married at that point. I I like, think they met on the set of Okay. of of Temple of Doom. I mean she's, you know, she's was can she be still married to Amy Irving. I, d- I don't know. That? I don't know how what his yeah, personal life was like. Um But yeah, I mean she can be kind of like, you know, annoying sometimes throughout the movie um but i don't know i'm i mean i'm able to look just enjoy it for what it is instead of thinking about what it could be and like i said like looking back like i think the series would be lacking if if it didn't exist or if it was more of the same because i mean raiders of the lost ark I mean, uh, like Last Crusade is much more in, in the same sort of style as Raiders was. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if Temple of Doom was the same, it kind of would have been like, by the time you get to Last Crusade, it's like, eh, you know, we've already seen it twice before. So I kind of like that it's this different thing. Um, I actually read some some notes from a uh, meeting, a production meeting that uh, between George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and um, one of their other producers. I don't know if it was Lawrence Kasdan or uh, who was it um, or who it was, I mean. But they, they were discussing ideas for like another Indiana Jones movie and I think it might have been around the time either after Temple of Doom when they were trying to figure out what they wanted to do make their third film to be or it could have been after Last Crusade but probably before because Last Crusade seems like that was their sort of like alright we'll, we'll wrap up this series but George Lucas had the idea to like set the whole movie he wanted to do like a haunted house movie so like <laughs> so like Indiana Jones like in a haunted mansion was kind of like his pitch um and that to me like kind of shows where like temple of doom kind of came from yeah because i think originally their idea was like oh we have this character indiana jones and in raiders of the lost ark he's like you know he's fighting nazis trying to track down the this ancient sort of christian uh um artifact and he has that kind of world war ii style sort of pulp adventure temple of doom kind of like pops him into like the this like jungle safari kind of like adventure that is uh you know it's totally different has a kind of story and i think their idea was like you can put this character into all these different kinds of genres and uh and you can kind of work within those um I mean, I would love to see the the Indiana Jones Haunted Mansion movie. That'd be pretty cool. Maybe maybe they'll end up doing that for the uh, for the new one. Or I don't know anything about the new one. Yeah, I mean, so. Harrison Ford will pretty much be a ghost by the time they make Indiana Jones Five. So he's uh, got and Disney owns it now, though. so it'll be like <laughs> Indiana Jones in the Haunted Mansion in Disney World. Oh, so it'll be like the Haunted Mansion with like Eddie Murphy or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're gonna <laughs> combine the two Ford franchises. And because it'll be set, but oh well, actually now that he's older, I guess it wouldn't be set back then. It would be set in like the sixties or fifties or something. Well, so. uh, Crystal Skull is set in the fifties. Oh, um, well, that's right. Because doesn't he like? Isn't there an A bomb test, but a refrigerator keeps him safe? Yes. That's that's the main thing I've heard about that movie. <laughs> Nuke in the fridge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in this next one, he'll be dealing with radiation poisoning. <laughs> be like, I thought I was okay. <laughs> No, but it'll see, be like, really serious. He drank. One. He drank from the the Holy Grail though in Last Crusade. Oh, that's right. So, so you know, who knows what that did? That's why in Young Indiana Jones Chronicles he was so old. Yeah, he he made it to the nineties, yeah. and somewhere along the line he lost his eye. That's right. I've heard about that. But that's you know, that's a whole other thing. We could do a whole podcast about. We could do a whole month on on Spielberg. We could do a whole month on Indiana. Jones. We could do a whole month on Indiana Jones. Yeah, four. There's four films. You know, one one each week. That'd be fun. Fun, Tim. Can't we have fun? <laughs> well, we'll go from Steven Spielberg to uh, Umberto Lenzi. So that's how's, there's some fun for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, before before we jump into uh, Eyeball, um, 
I did want to say I saw Gravity. Um, I finally got around to watching it. Where? Um, I saw it at Amy's student movie because okay. I, I work there as the uh, part-time projectionist. So I get to see movies uh, for free. So if you have any complaints about the films there, you know who to contact now. Yeah. Yeah. And there are, you know, some issues, but we're working on, uh, they're actually working on getting uh, digital projectors probably sometime soon. Seems like it's getting closer to reality. But anyway, yeah, so I saw Gravity. Um, not in 3D, not in IMAX. And uh, after watching the movie, like I, de- I wish that I did see it in 3D and in IMAX. It's it definitely is that kind of movie. It. Uh, did you get anything out of it watching it flat? Yeah, I mean, it's still like it's entertaining and enjoyable. I've um, heard the performances are impressive. Yeah, Sandra Bullock especially did a really great job. Um, for someone who, as as an actress, I always kind of like dismissed her, mm. kind of, I guess. Um, maybe partly because my grandmother really likes her. So it was kind of just like, oh, Sandra Bullock. My grandmother loves Sandra Bullock. And Does she not she's have just good an taste? O- in- well, no, it's just like, you know, she's like, I don't know. When you're younger, it just seems like, oh, she's like an actress who all these the old, the old people like. One of my grandmothers hated Buster Keaton. Hmm. And, um, That's interesting. But And I feel like she was just wrong to do that, so. Yeah. yeah. Although she was born in 1929, so I'm thinking the Buster Keaton films she knows are his, like, his later, sound shorts right, from the late yeah. 30s. Which aren't that great, so I don't know. In which but. case, she's like, why does everyone think this Buster Keaton's so great? <laughs> But yeah, I mean, Gravity. It's it's it is real. It is a really fun movie, um, and it is it is damn impressive, just what they're able to achieve. Um, I mean, technically, it's it's just a drop dead, gorgeous movie. Um, in you know, in two D at least, I imagine in three D it probably looks amazing. Um. But it, it, um, our friend Chris, he saw it, and um, when I asked him what he thought about it, he said uh, it was it was good. It's basically a uh, a ride, and I definitely I definitely understand where he's coming from with that, because the story is pretty like it's pretty thin, and sometimes it's it it almost feels like. Um, they do a lot of shots of, of like going into the first person perspective, like the POV mm. kind of moments where you're inside like the, the helmet looking out. Um, and in those moments, it almost felt like a, like a video game in some way. And I don't really say that like in a negative way. Um, but it just felt like this kind of, and it's all it, the, the whole story takes place almost in real time where we're kind of like going from one thing to the next and it's all happening. Like, from the you know the disaster to the resolution I'm not going to spoil anything but how you know to the end yeah it uh it's pretty much just like one one thing after another and it's a very it's, you know it's a solitary movie cuz i mean we're in space the whole time so it's like 
the only actors that we're dealing with are basically Sandra Bullock and George Clooney. Um, so it feels like, you know, you're, you're buckling into this, uh, this exp- it's more of an experience than it is like a great story, I guess. But it's a great experience. What are your thoughts on uh, on 3D films? Um, I like the development. I like where this is going. Like back in the fifties, like it was just it was a gimmick, and um, like just a few years ago, people would like started to come back. I think it was well in the eighties also it was like a gimmick. But then, like, within the past 10 years, initially people are like, oh, well, they're just, you know, people aren't going to the theaters anymore. They got to get them back in. But I think interesting things are being done with it this time. And, like, it's being used in an artistic way. Sometimes. Not always. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, like, I've only seen a handful of 3D movies. I don't get why World War Z had to be in 3D. Was it in 3D? Yeah. Hmm. Um, I didn't think it added much. I mean, it was, you know, it was visually impressive and there was a lot going on and stuff, but um, other than a few, like, jump scares where, like, oh, there's a zombie coming at me. Right. That's, but it wasn't even like that was a continuous thing. It was just, like, two or three times. That movie, like, the way 3D was used in that movie reminded me of, like, House of Wax in 1953, hmm. where there's a guy with with like a ball and a paddle, and the the ball is right. going at yeah. your face. <laughs> the ball's always going at Tim's face. <laughs> but um, Avatar, and even though I didn't like The Hobbit, it wasn't because of anything visual. Visually, it was impressive. Uh, the first Hobbit, I haven't seen the one that just came out. Um, and I don't. I mean. As long as people, like, stay creative with it and use it, like, in a positive way, I could see it just being, like, a big revolutionary step, like, sound or color. But I hope it doesn't get to the point where every big movie that comes out has to be in 3D. Mm. And I hope they don't keep doing the thing they do where films shot for 2D... Now, not, like, older films. Like, it's interesting, like, when I went to see The Wizard of Oz, it's interesting when they're like, oh, well, just for, like, this weekend, just to see what it would be like, here's right, this well, old movie in 3D. Right. But when something has just come out and it's in general release, like, I hope they don't just keep, like, up-converting it to 3D, because that's when it gets gimmicky. And it's just like, why are we watching this? What the hell is going on? Yeah. Um, I definitely, I agree with a lot of that. Um when people kind of say that like 3d is just a gimmick um and that it doesn't add anything to the experience i i can see how like i mean initially you're right like it did it was just a gimmick for for years and years and years and even when it sort of became new again with this when they finally got rid of like you know the red and blue um system yeah and they've gone into this sort of like the real D kind of uh, thing. It, even then, like it was a way to get people back into the theater because they were losing, you know, the attendance has been going down. Mm. Um, but I personally, I think like 3D entertainment 
is more immersive fundamentally because we experience the world in three dimensions. Like that's our natural state of, of of being, you know, if you've got two functioning eyes, that is, um, we'll get to that later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but I, you know, I think like, uh, it, it can be very immersive if, if the, uh, if the process isn't distracting and that's where like they've, the stro- the real struggles have been is like making the process as, you know, um, non-intrusive as possible. Um, once they can reach a place where, I mean, the ideal would be to like get rid of the glasses entirely and figure out a way to do it without glasses. Um, and they, they have actually done it, um, they can do it now with like smaller screens. Um, like I have a, uh, a Nintendo 3DS, which has a, you know, a screen right. that can display images in 3D, um, without glasses. And it's, it's awesome. I, I love it. And I think like for, you know, at least like for, with video games, like I think it definitely is, is more immersive and can add a lot to the experience. Um, but it'll yeah it'll be interesting like to see like if they can get like a a home television screen to work well without the need for glasses to present image in, images in 3D um i think that'll be uh pretty huge i think once that happens like everything will be in 3D i think in that, like the inevitable future is that everything will be shot and produced in 3d um whether that's like 20 40 50 years probably not that long i would think um but who knows i mean how long did it take you know films to go from you know the when color was first introduced it took a while for it to catch on until the point where it was like everything that was being made was in color um he's the first uh three strip technicolor film was at like 35 i think becky sharp becky, yeah. was the first yep. uh feature length one mm-hmm. um yeah so like i think it was another 32 33 years before they finally got rid of the um like uh the oscar for like best black and white uh, production design or ah, stuff like that right right where it was finally like because uh, like because all even like into the 60s it was like still a, like a very common that you know films were yeah being produced in black and, and like white. that's really the decade where like by the end of the 60s it was it was like, all color yeah. yeah there were like rare black and white films and like like low budget ones like night of the living dead mm-hmm. um but yeah by the 70s it was just like and now it's more it's an artistic choice yeah which is what i hope happens with two-dimensional film well i hope there's right. still that like in the way that it didn't really happen with silent films there are silent films being made but it's such a rarity and i don't mean things like the artist because that is a sound film where nobody's talking because that has its score that is with it and it has the effects and everything i mean like well and it's playing on that whole idea of being a short of, of being a silent film yeah um 
But like, and that's one thing. Like, it's great when the all these innovations keep happening, um, like sound and color and the widescreen and 3D. But I just hope it doesn't mean that then suddenly it becomes like, oh, if if you don't do this, then you just don't know what's going on. You're out of it. Like, you're too behind the times. It's like, well, I mean, I I don't see a problem with just like wanting to like go back to an old style, or stick with an old style if you've been mm-hmm. working in it for a while. I mean, I can imagine audiences getting if they're if people if we're exposed to 3D like entertainment all the time. Mm-hmm. Like if TV goes 3D, yeah, and like all like you know sitcoms and cop dramas and the, you know the talk shows and all that stuff. If they're all being shot in 3D and like are being viewed in 3D on you know 3D TVs or whatever. And almost all the movies are in 3D. The generations growing up in that kind of environment will be in the same kind of people who can't watch a black and white movie today because yeah. they're just like it's distracting to them. Well, it'd be even more extreme. Yeah, I would imagine color, be like, like even. Yeah, it is like I mean when I'm playing my 3DS um, for for a long time, you have the option to like shut the 3D off. Like, if I shut it off, I'm like, ugh, I don't want to look at it like this. Like, I want to look at it like this. Turn that 3D on, because it looks great. It's um, like I caught, I caught a couple minutes of Avatar on TV last week. Yeah. It was weird. Right. Just watching it flat. Yeah. <sighs> and that's why it's like, with gravity, like, I can appreciate it for what it is, like, watching it in, in 2D. But part of me, like, in the back of my mind, it was almost like, I don't know if I was consciously thinking, like, oh, that shot would look great in 3D. Or like, oh, I bet that looks great in 3D. Um, it was still kind of there. Like, it felt like it wasn't the complete experience. Um, I wonder when Smell-O-Vision's going to finally come back. Yeah, come on. Come on, Hollywood. There, hasn't, there haven't been many of those. I, like, Scent of Mystery was the big one. I think that was in 1960 or something. And then, like, in the early 80s, John Waters had, like, his spoof of it with Odorama for the movie uh, Polyester. But I mean, like every big step has been towards like making things as real as possible. And now we're doing like 3D. Um, we already have color and sound. It's like, let's see what happens when we put some smells in there. Let's let's <laughs> let's find out what Sandra Bullock and George Clooney smell like. <laughs> there are already enough smells in a regular movie theater audience <laughs> as it is. That I don't know if adding any more is really uh, be helpful. I mean, I've seen, like, um, if you go to Disney World, mm-hmm. they have a few, like, theaters that are, like, permanent, they have permanent um, films in these that are, the theaters are built for this this uh, film. Like, there's a, um, there's one with, like, uh, there's, like, a Mickey Mouse one that's kind of, like, an updated version of Fantasia. Mm-hmm. Then there's, like, a one based on A Bug's Life. Um, but what's cool is, like, they they have like a uh, super surround sound like they'll make it sound like seem like the characters are actually like in the theater that's cool um and they'll do things like and it, it's in 3D too and if something comes flying at you like the seat in front of you has like an air puffer that will like <laughs> poof you in the in the face so you're like whoa shit it's like william castle exactly yeah and in um in the bugs life one there's like a stink bug that comes out and they're like, Oh no, it's the stink bug. And then they like spray stinky smell in the theater, like in the chairs. Um, and when all the bugs are crawling around, like 
the chairs like kind of vibrate and move because it makes it feel like there's you know bugs crawling on your back um they do that kind of stuff and that those experiences are really fun so i, I really like it. those if they could only find a way to like have it somehow come with the film <laughs> And yeah, not right? have to, oh, we're, we, we're changing the movies this week. We have to renovate the theater. <laughs> All right. Well, if the audio just kind of cut strangely, um, that's because uh, our recording device was full. The memory card was full. So, unfortunately, we lost a little bit of a discussion that we were having. It um, was gold, pure gold, <laughs> and you'll never hear you. it. Yeah. So, you know, classic bits like... Um, uh, chewing gum for for movies um finding out how samuel l jackson tastes yes for when he's eaten by a dinosaur or a shark you know any of the times that samuel jackson is being eaten um yeah so unfortunately you don't get to hear those those discussions but that's okay because you know we should probably get around to the uh the movie that we're supposed to be talking about this week uh, which is eyeball Directed by Umberto Lenzi, 1975. So this uh, continues our holly jolly Christmas. We should say that previously I had said that this movie was only available on VHS. So, um, you know, probably weren't going to have good luck trying to find it to be able to view. But uh, Tim actually found it online. On YouTube. YouTube. So apparently the whole movie is on YouTube. um, So we'll post a link to that. Somewhere in the description of the episode or on Facebook, somewhere in there. Um, so you have the opportunity to watch it before we uh, we talk about it. Um, and I guess I should also say that something that I've noticed that we've kind of been unconsciously doing, which is uh, we, we, do, we record this every week and we record them within a theme. So we're oftentimes referencing back to the movies we've watched previously in the month. Um, oftentimes spoiling those movies That's we've talked true. about. And it occurred to me that like maybe there are some people who are sort of picking and choosing like, oh, I want to listen to the, you know, the Midnight Cowboy episode. Maybe that's their first. Maybe they haven't seen Deliverance yet, you know? So, um, and we probably would have spoiled some of that. Um, so I will say, you know, there is the possibility that we could spoil certain things from the girl who knew too much and the bird with the crystal plumage, but, um, we'll try to keep those under, under wraps, I guess. So yeah. Eyeball. Where to begin? Um, this film was a staple of um, my basement parties, which is uh, in uh, starting in high school and going through uh, my early 20s when I was attending ACC, uh, or SUNY Adirondack as it is now called. Um, you know, I was living at my parents' house. I would have people over and um, we'd hang out in my basement and watch movies all night, sometimes for a couple of nights. <laughs> All night long. Yep. <laughs> and um, I would often try to pick, you know, just fun, schlocky films, if you will. And uh, Eyeball was watched at least twice. 
And it's um, it's not a great movie. It maybe it's not even a good movie, but it's a fun movie, and I enjoy watching it. I find it very entertaining. Yeah, it certainly is entertaining. Um, and that's what movies are all about, right, Tim? Fun. Yes. No. <laughs> that's not what movies are all about. But yes, fun is a good thing to have in a movie. Um, and this is this is different than um, you know. It's still technically a. a a Jalo film, mm-hmm. um, but it is different than the two we have previously watched. In that, clearly, it's whereas we we referenced Hitchcock a lot, um, discussing the the previous two. Yeah, um, this movie doesn't really have any of that kind of uh, <laughs> um, technical prowess or no, storytelling really. prowess. No. Well, this is, I mean, we've hit the point where Girl, Girl Who Knew Too Much kick-started the Jalo, And then, you know, there were a few in the late 60s, and then Bird with the Crystal Plumage uh, was, like, a big success. And then in the early 70s, through the mid-70s, you get a lot of people who are like, oh, this is a successful new genre that we're going to do. And uh, I've, although Umberto let, um, Umberto Lenzi, who directed it, um, had done a couple uh, early Jolly in the late 60s. I haven't seen these. Um, like right, right before Bird of the Crystal Plumage. Uh, Orgasmo and Paranoia. Um, Orgasmo. Yeah. Now, the boys from South Park made a movie <sighs> called Orgasmo. I believe they're completely unrelated. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just... Making sure. In fact, Orgasmo was released in America as Paranoia. So that so then when Paranoia was released, it was called something else. I think A Quiet Place to Kill, maybe? Um, Why is it called Orgasmo? I don't know. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't seen them. Um, but I mean, he also did Spasmo uh, right, oh. right before... <laughs> so that was got- right before Eyeball, um, which... It's also not that great, um, and a little less entertaining than Eyeball, so... <laughs> and not even as entertaining as its trailer, unfortunately. Oh my god, the trailer, yeah. If everyone, just go to YouTube and look up the trailer for Spasmo and have a blast, but you don't necessarily have to watch the movie. <laughs> um, but, you know, like like when there's, like, any of these, like, genre cycles, um, you know, towards the end you start to get in stuff like Eyeball... <laughs> Where they're just yeah. at this point, just kind of churning out films that kind of roughly fall into the, uh, and this doesn't this doesn't necessarily roughly fall into the genre. Like all the the tropes are there. It's there's just people not as, abroad. Yeah, like, yeah. and um, there's the the killers wearing gloves, red gloves this time. Yeah, um, like a red cat <laughs> in a labyrinth of glass. Yes, which is the translation of the. Uh, Original Italian title. Um, <laughs> we, we, what, what is the full title called? It's uh... um, yeah. The original Italian title is Gatti Rossi in un labirinto di vetro. Red cats in a labyrinth of glass. Now, we had kind of talked about the title before, and we, the question was like, what does that have to do with the movie at all? Um, and there's a throwaway line in there where they're kind of like, <laughs> it looked like a big red cat, you know, running through the 
the bushes or whatever. Um, and they're talking about see, someone seeing the killer. But I actually think I know what the, the title is, is referring to. Okay. I think if you were to take a labyrinth, a glass labyrinth, and have like two or three cats each darting around through, mm-hmm. and you were to like look at that image from like a bird's eye perspective, it would look like the red capillaries in an eyeball. That's cool, and I think you're putting more thought into it than they did, <laughs> which is good. <laughs> um, yeah, I can see that. So I don't know that that's what that that's my best effort to try to explain the title. <laughs> yeah, um, this was uh, distributed by Joseph Brenner, um, and he distributed a few jolly. Uh, in America, um, and he gave them these very like just these these great one word titles: eyeball, torso, autopsy, and like autopsy. The uh, the Italian title I think it was uh, Macchi Silari, which is uh, translates to sunspots. Um, and then torso, the original Italian title. I'm not sure what it was in Italian. But it translated to uh, the bodies show traces of carnal violence. <laughs> but I love the one-word titles. And Eyeball, I think, works perfectly for this film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it's. I mean, it's, you certainly get what you expect from a movie called Eyeball. There's eyeballs. Sure. And they're not always in sockets. I mean, really, most movies have eyeballs in them, but usually they're in sockets of people. Yeah. I would guess that almost every single movie has eyeballs. Almost. Probably 99% (laughs) of all movies. Probably, yeah. And even films that, like, don't even have people, like some, you know, experimental, you know, (laughs) art film, could still have an eyeball. Yeah. One of the um, the the most uh, iconic images in cinema involves an eyeball in Un Chien Andalou, mm-hmm. which is definitely an art film. Uh, the eyeball, like right in the opening scene, there's a razor blade just slices an eyeball Slice, yeah. in uh, extreme close-up. Which was a collaboration between Salvador Dali and... Bunuel. Bunuel, right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, eyeballs... Eyes have... have obviously played a large part in film you know and i mean they say you know it's the the window to the soul but in film it kind of eyes sort of take on almost a uh i don't know they're more significant in a way Well, because you're all just watching a movie you're already a voyeur right and then just like it's it all has to do with like because the camera itself is like is this sort of watching eye um it is a visual medium um, Isn't the 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 definition of autopsy the act of seeing with one's own eye or something? Autopsy? Yeah, like the um, like the word itself, like before it was used to describe like the medical, what an autopsy is, like the, like the carving, forensic not carving practice, not practice. Yeah, um, deciding like cause of death and stuff like determining that. Determining the yeah, I think like because like auto psi autopsy i I, th- I think that's what it is seeing um, yourself because there's, there's your a um eye. getting back to art films again um there's a film by uh 
Stan Brackage. Um, and it's called The Act of Seeing with One's Own Eyes. And it's just an autopsy. It's just a body being dismantled, basically. Mm. An actual body. Um, it's not a pleasant film to watch, but... Yeah, I'm not I'll, a big Stan Brackett. Uh, that film. one right, right next to uh, Schindler's List on my yeah. list to uh, <laughs> Schindler's List on my list of movies to watch. It's on Criterion. If you want to check it out, is it? Uh, well, there's a collection by Brackage. Oh, it's, is it one of their like Eclipse series or something? No, it's um, it's just he did short films, and it's just it's I just all you. of yeah. his short films. Um, Mothlight, Dogstar, a bunch of them. I was never a fan of his. I don't know. It just seems like masturbation. I don't know. An autopsy, <laughs> in my mind, is as far away from masturbation <laughs> as you can <laughs> get. <laughs> um, just uh, the it's like that. I know. I know what you mean. Okay, sort of stroking right. one's own ego. Yeah, just that certain kind of art film where we don't need to be here for this. Right. The filmmaker is just is doing, doing this for themselves. There was one that I thought was really good. I can't remember the name of it. It's He filmed his son's birth, but he had all this, like, red... Uh, not paint, because I think that would have killed a newborn baby. Um, like, maybe food dye. Something to make it look bloodier than it was. And as his... I, I, mean, I think it was his wife. At least, the mother of his child, at least. As she was giving birth, he was putting in all this, like, fake blood and stuff to make it look even more gory and... Um, it's actually very interesting to watch. It's, it's kind of difficult to watch, but it's very interesting to watch. I'm just trying to think of like what kind of relationship you must have. It's odd to think of the morality involved and like, but cause I, I don't know what danger that might pose. Cause you want to keep that situation as sanitary as possible. Well, yeah, I wasn't but, even thinking of that. Just like, okay. <laughs> wh- like, I would imagine, like, most people, like, try to imagine convincing either your wife or your girlfriend to, while in the, not only film, you know, (laughs) this horrific sort of, like, um, very unflattering moment in, you know, in a woman's life. Not only that, but, like, actually kind of, man, just, like, turn it into this whole other thing like that. That is crazy. I wish I, the the title of it is something like "baby baby water breathing" or something. Or I think those three words are in it in some order, and there might be other words as well. <laughs> I'm not sure, but yeah, um, that eyeball. <laughs> <laughs> it's as good as any of that. <laughs> I'd rather watch eyeball. We watched eyeball. Uh, together um, with our friend Justin who you know watched some of it he kind of fell asleep yeah he had seen it before in my basement all those years ago Um, because it is kind of a movie that is fun to watch with others it's the the kind of movie that it's like you know you don't you're not concerned about like I don't know like I'm for me like I, I liked my movie watching experiences for the most part to be like you know all right, we're going to have, like, the lights down low, and we're going to, like, you know, just watch the movie. We're not right. going to, like, comment or talk or, you know, during during it. I don't want to be pulled out of it. I just want to experience it for what it is. 
But then there are movies where it's like you just want to have a fun time while watching it. Um, and this is one of those, you know, it, it's so bad it's good, I guess, is how you describe it. Even though I wouldn't necessarily say that it's like really bad. Yeah. It's just like it's unintentionally humorous, I think. And coming on the heels of Bava and Argento. Yeah. And there were other, like, filmmakers working in uh, the Giallo film in that period, like uh, Lucio Fulci and Sergio Martino and Antonio Margheriti, who were doing these great films. And then on the other side of the coin, you got stuff like Eyeball. (laughs) And, like, in that context, it's like, oh, you weren't really even trying. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Sometimes it seems like they were trying. Like, the... um, the funhouse ride where they go yeah yeah thing that's Mm -hmm. interesting it's i mean again i say you can see they were trying Mm -hmm. but um it's not as effective as it could it's an interesting conceit though because i mean if there's a killer on a ride like that and you're just going through and you're seeing all these like monsters and everything and then like you see this figure just standing there with a knife you are just going to look at it like oh what's this going to do yeah, yeah, and then, definitely. And then you get and then stabbed in the eye. Well, stabbed, and then your eye is yeah. removed from your skull. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like the, the general sort of premise of it, where you have this group of um, people on a tour bus, and they know that one of them is is the killer. Mm. Um. And I liked kind of like the way that the buildups to some some of the murders, um, more so earlier on, were kind of like seeing different things from different characters' perspective. Really, I'm thinking, I guess, mostly of the uh, the the pig. Oh uh, uh, yeah. In the in the in the pigsty, the, the death in the pigsty, because we're kind of like we can feel like we can sense that like it's about to happen because all the characters are kind of spreading apart. You know, some of the women are walking around and we don't know who's going to, you know, we don't know who's going to be killed. Um, and we're kind of seeing like different people watching other people. And um, so it's like it's it feels like it's trying to build that kind of murder mystery, kind of the whodunit sort of, um, you know, can you spot the clues and, you know, piece it together. But I mean, there's really nothing to really kind of figure out, I guess. Um, as far as like picking up on individual clues and piecing them together, um, I mean, you can certainly guess who, who the killer is. Yeah. Um, and like having seen it a couple times before, it just seems so like glaringly obvious to me, like watching it this time. <laughs> um, but like, I, I don't remember what I, like the first times i watched it what i was like where my mind was as far as like who is the killer and like Mm. i I think it's interesting um spoilers for the girl who knew too much and bird of the crystal plumage i think it's interesting that this is the third film in in this line where the the killer turned out to be a woman yeah um And it's funny because, like, yeah, every time, like, you're still kind of expecting it to be a man. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
even in this but even in this movie like the lead suspect is a woman from the beginning it's um uh the the wife what, what is her name's not elsa alma <laughs> alma right um you know because the because mark is like you know i i'm pretty sure it's my it's my wife um so they've already set the idea in your mind that it is, that it is like a woman because she's we're following her the first scene of the movie it's like it's all about her mm-hmm. and then we don't see her again for like an hour <laughs> and it's funny that that first scene reminded me of the first scene in the girl who knew too much as well because we started on a plane yeah um just kind of interesting but uh also the the the, the, the end was also it was like bird with a crystal plumage. Was it like, get on the airplane and just right? Take they, they both end with the airplane taking off. And that's such a that guy's such a dick, really. Like he's all right, he's Which got guy? this the the main Mark Burton, the main oh right, uh, yeah. the main male character in Eyeball. Yeah, he he's, didn't do anything right. He's like he's got a wife who has all these mental troubles. Mm-hmm. He's clearly had an affair with a very young girl who ended up dead. That he. You know, he's very like, oh, I knew her, but I didn't like know her. But mm-hmm. then later it's revealed like, oh, no, he was fooling around with her. And he's and, like, he's defending that to the woman that he's cheating on his wife with. Yeah. His like secretary or something like he was he's having this affair with and she's trying to get out of it. And like he like follows her to Barcelona and it's like, I don't know. I think a lot of stuff could be could have been avoided. <laughs> That guy just like, I don't know, just uh, got the hell out of there. And yeah. Just like didn't well, I mean, mess with these women's lives. And then like at the end, it's like his wife is like, oh, you know, I've, I've sort of got my mind all sorted out now. <laughs> and let's try and make a go of it. And he's like, okay, honey. And well, like, no, that's not what she says. She says, I've got it all. I've got my mind all sorted out. We should get a divorce. And then he's like, no, we can make it work. Like she's she's finally when she's thinking clearly, she finally says, "This doesn't make any sense. We should divorce," and then, <laughs> which is what he's he kind of wanted. Of though, right? Yeah, and then yeah. he talks her out of it. So it's like it's yeah, it's funny. He's this horrible like manipulative person, which makes sense since he's in promotions. Oh yeah, which is, <laughs> which is another gem of a scene when he. <laughs> Which, thinking back on it now, like, literally has nothing to do with anything. Like, he's introduced, it's early on when he's introduced, and yeah. he's <laughs> explaining to all, to someone in the in the group, the, um... One of the young girls. Yeah, one of the young girls. What he does, which is, like, he's in the promotional business, like, he promotes things. And so he's explaining, like, what that is, and we're cutting to pretty much, like, every single character, <laughs> and there's, like, eight or nine characters like on this tour bus and we're cutting to each one like individually as this voiceover of like you know you need you must promote something when you know the prize is in a cereal box (laughs) yeah exactly yeah the prize is in a cereal box that you have a promotional thing and it's advertising so we're cutting to the reactions to every single one of the passengers to this mundane little speech they look so intrigued and like blown away like promotion wow or like, uh, yeah, just or suspicious almost, or just like I don't know, I don't know what the reaction would even be to that, but what we're supposed to—they were all very engaged. <laughs> um, like all I can think of is that, like, because 
like later that character ends up dead like it's like oh maybe they were all looking like why is he paying attention to that young girl and like maybe that was supposed to like lend some suspicion to him or something but was she one not how one of the ones that ended up dead isn't she the one in the ridiculous american flag shirt yeah but isn't she the one who gets stabbed by the swimming pool See, this is a problem I've had with this film. Is that you <laughs> so I, get all confused? Some of about... the characters I can't tell apart. Yeah, the definitely. two young girls. One of them ends up dead. One of them is attacked and and gets away. And, like I don't remember which is which, <laughs> and I just watched it yesterday well, for at least the fourth time in my life. <laughs> okay, there's the first girl who is killed in the in the square in broad daylight. Who had nothing to do with the party that was like a local girl there yeah right okay so and she, we don't know who she is we don't right she just she was like arguing with her her boyfriend or whatever so this okay so the girl who you you're talking about who the one in the carnival ride oh the carnival ride yeah right. and the girl who was killed by the pigsty she was just a local yeah girl who worked at this, who lived at this place that they were staying at or eating at. or I mean, it's never really made clear, like, where they're going or why they're... Yeah, they start out in Barcelona, then they go to other places in Spain, and it's another, like, little, like, travelogue type thing of yeah. just, like, all these great shots of... Uh... Like, visually, the film is not that great, but then once they start turning the camera on some of these, like, tourist sites, it's, like, it's pretty impressive. Just the way they're shooting it. But, I mean, with the stuff they're shooting, it's like, it'd be hard to get a bad angle. Yeah, definitely. That's the kind of thing, you know, I mean, the location is what's impressive about that. And, I mean, you can just go out and get the film permits, I guess. It's impressive how they got those film permits to shoot (laughs) in Barcelona. Pretty sure it has something to do with the fact that it was an Italian-Spanish co-production. So Spain had some money in this film. Yeah, so the cast is made up of Spaniards, Italians, and Americans, it looks like. And they're all, well, not all, but the people on the bus are from Burlington, Vermont. <laughs> now, it's like they're all from Burlington. Yep. And they really let you know that they're from Burlington. It's a dangerous drinking game. And if you watch the movie... Every time they say Burlington, take a shot and just see, like, if you survive. Yeah, that I'm sure you would waste no time getting really drunk. And as somebody who had, like, gone through a period in his life when um, whenever there was a commercial for the Burlington Coat Factory, he'd have to change the channel because he really didn't like hearing the word Burlington because it reminded him of horrible things in his life. Uh, I'm glad that I didn't watch Eyeball during that period. Like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Your anti-Burlington phase? Yeah. I mean, I'm still anti-Burlington, but I'm, like, comfortable with hearing the word Burlington. <laughs> <laughs> You're okay that it exists. You just don't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah. Um, it is interesting that, like, they are from Burlington, Vermont, of all random places. Right around the corner. Yeah, which is, like... Less than two hours away. Al- like, almost local. I mean, yeah. You know, like, I've been there numerous times, like... Me too. It's like, it's a really quick drive. There's like, it involves like three roads. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, why of all places <laughs> would they decide that they're from Burlington? Did they just sort of randomly decide like, we want them from like a, uh, like a small sort of American town. And they looked at a map and just were like, like 
Arlington. Like, before I knew that Basket Case had been partially shot in Glens Falls, I had always assumed that um, the director, Frank Henenlotter, just looked at a map of New York right, and was, and was like, like, oh, Glens Falls, that's a town upstate. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but now we actually know where the house is. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. They must have just really liked the way that the word sounded. Burlington. Remember, in Burlington. Yes, of course. I'm your wife. In Burlington. <laughs> and it's every time they like Officer, call Burlington. <laughs> and he call like, you know, he picks it up and his wife answers and is like, Burlington. This is Burlington. You know? <laughs> like, okay what? Why would you ever answer the phone like that? Well, no, that was the operator. Because that was back... I don't think it really was still like that in the 70s. But there was a time when you'd call a town and the operator would answer and then they'd hook you up to whoever you were looking for. But I feel like in 1975, that wasn't the way it worked anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, I really don't know. Bob Barker is not in this movie. But it's understandable uh, first, if you first think glance, he is. it certainly seems that way. Yeah. Um, that was I liked the um, the idea of like the police chief like I've got one week left on the force. Yeah, just that <laughs> cliche sort of premise. And you think when he says that, you think like, well, clearly this guy's going to die. <laughs> He's got yeah, four weeks. Like, and and he, he, he's not re- like, I don't he, know. It's he's the one who shoots the killer. Right? Yeah. 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 And, then, yeah. and the cops are pretty ineffectual in this movie. And I mean, they often are in Charlie, although this is the second one we've watched where they kind of like swoop in like the cavalry and save the hero. Well, not, there's no hero in eyeball actually, I should say. Um, the closest thing would be Mark. But he just kind of sucks. I mean, I guess you could say, um, what the, um, oh, the, um, the girl who's being held by Paulette. Right. Yeah. She does kind of become somewhat of a main, like the main character. Naiba. Played by Inez Pellegrini. What's funny is like. I know someone who looks almost exactly like her. I feel like I do too, but I don't know who. Is it somebody I know? Because she reminds me of somebody, but I can't figure out who it is. I don't know. She works uh, for the Phantoms. I don't know if you... If you I don't know. And I don't even know her name, but she's just always up in the press box. Oh, wait. I think I've... I've seen her. And I was... I did a Phantoms game today. Yeah. And I like saw her and I was like... Man, she really does look almost, like, <laughs> identical. Um, Is she a lesbian model, also? I don't think so. But then again, I mean, I don't know her, so maybe she is. But yeah, by the end of the movie, one of the most sympathetic characters is uh, a black lesbian. Yeah, which I guess for the time would be pretty progressive. Hmm. Um, and they don't really make a 
like I mean they they like the film makes a point to show that like that she in like a salacious way like hey look at these two fine looking ladies getting naked together but it's Um, not like something that the characters take any kind of notice or any kind of there's a priest on the bus and he seems cool with it yeah like none of them like they although he's he's probably oblivious to he's like oh they're really close friends (laughs) staying in the same hotel room and yeah (laughs) um yeah I, I mean like and that's. You know, I mean, they—it's just a part of what their who their characters were, I guess. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of homosexual characters and jolly that I never really thought of. I rewatched uh, *Cat and Nine Tales*, Argento's second film, mm. um, a few days ago, which is better than I remembered. Um, I always remember just being bored and like. But it's it's a pretty good movie. It doesn't need to be like two hours though. It could have been like shorter. But um there's uh yeah, there's homosexual characters in that as well. And there's a scene where like the main character is like like there's a gay guy flirting with him and he's all uncomfortable. Oh. Just like in Yeah. That's such a strange kinda like I don't know. And it's weird because it's uh it's James Franciscus, who I only know from Beneath the Planet of the Apes, who was kind of like the Charlton Heston replacement. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Like, he reminds me of Charlton Heston, and even his voice is kind of like Charlton Heston. So it's like looking at, like, oh, Charlton Heston's in a gay bar. It's a... I could picture that. <laughs> and I like what I see. Yeah. <laughs> I love the, um... <laughs> like, towards the end, when the police chief is just like... Like, we got a box of eyes. Want to look at these eyes? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's not what he says, but that's basically, like, what's going on. Like, oh, we got the victim's eyes. And then they open up, and it turns out it's not the victim's it's the glass, eyes. It's glass it's, eyes. Yeah. And it's like, that's why they're all the same color, because they were... Um, but it, it, it doesn't... Maybe it's because we were watching, like, a bad VHS transfer. Uh, Paulette's eyes seem brown to me. Um, and uh, I, di- I didn't pay any attention to her eyes. Well, because af- like once they si- like, well, also I knew who the killer was. Right. So yeah. like after that scene where he shows the uh, the gla- the box of glass eyes that were found on each in each victim. Then you were looking to see if her eyes matched the color. Yeah, and I don't think they do. But you know, maybe like earlier in the film, she just had two different colored eyes, and no one noticed. <laughs> Which, I mean, that happens. There was a scene where I noticed that it might have just been, like, me seeing it because I wanted to see it. Uh, It looked like her eyes were looking in two different directions. Hmm. And she could have, like, the actress could have had that ability. Um, Or she had the, uh, I forget what the condition is called, where... um, Lazy eye. That's something it's called, but there's like an actual. There's I don't know, but yeah, the, the correct sort of term for that kind of, uh, or sometimes the eye drifts. Yeah, there's the scene where like it was like um, it was like an over the shoulder shot. Like she was talking to Mark, and we were behind Mark, and um, it just like her eyes just looked wrong to me. Not wrong. That's insensitive. Different. 
Could she maybe have been wearing a contact lens that made it look that way? It is possible. Were contact lenses, like, widely used and available in 1975? They'd been using them in, um, as special effects and stuff. Oh, right, of course, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. For, like, you know, vampire movies. I, I don't know when they invented the, um, the soft ones. That are that don't like just kill your eye every time right. you put them in. Right, the, the, because they used to be just like these big shards of glass. Yeah, that you had to put. I cannot imagine doing that. I can't. I tried putting a soft one. <laughs> I can't touch my eyes. I'm so glad I don't need contacts at this moment. Yeah. Um, I ate one once, but I didn't. I couldn't put it in my eye. How was it? It was like it was like nothing. Had it been in someone's eye? Yeah. Ugh. She took it out. This girl, Jenna, that we went to high school with, um, we were at the mall. She took it out of her eye and handed it to me. And I tried putting it in my eye, just out of curiosity. And uh, I couldn't do it, so I ate it. And then we went and took some pictures in the photo booth. It was a nice day. (laughs) I went to the prom with her. (laughs) Jenna who? Uh, Honeyman. I don't. I didn't know her. Yeah, she was a year behind me. Ah, uh, yeah. She was the prom queen the next year. Hmm. Um, I have another anecdote about eyes. I don't remember if you were there for this. Um, there was a girl who was sort of like hanging out in our circle of friends at one point. Um. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> She had one, she had one eye. She had she, she yeah had, she, she had, had a glass, glass eye. eye. Yeah, and um, you know a bunch of us went to New Way lunch in Glens Falls uh, on Route Nine one day, and it was winter time. It was icy out, <laughs> and uh, so we're all walking from our cars to the restaurant. And I remarked quietly to a friend, um, "Oh man, I really hope she doesn't fall. Like, because like, would her eye just like pop out? Like, her glass eye? Like, would it just pop out? Like." As, like, a concerned person, a curious person, not a mean, <laughs> insulting person. And a few days later, I went to... Uh, but you have to admit, that's kind of a strange... I was concerned. I don't know it how... It was a thought like, that came to your mind. Yeah, I, I, mean, don't, I don't know what keeps them in. So I'm, like, wondering, like, oh, if she lands really hard on the ground, could it just pop out? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> and I said it quietly. He was the only one who heard. And then a few days later, uh, I went over to his house to watch The Godfather. <laughs> um, and that girl was there. And mm-hmm. there it was um, our friend Matt and his, his girlfriend and the girl with the glass eye. And then I showed up with our friend Steve. And we yeah. all just were going to watch The Godfather. And as soon as we walk in, <laughs> the girl with the glass eye says, um, do you think it's funny that I have a glass eye? And I'm just like, what? She's like. I lost my eye because I had cancer. And I was like, I, I didn't know. I'm sorry. And she's like, well, you were making fun of my eye? And I was like, no. I, and then I told her the story from my perspective. And, and she didn't seem to really like be happy about it. And then we all sat down to watch The, the Godfather, Godfather. <laughs> which is like three fucking hours long and just total silence and just awkward and then yeah and the yeah <laughs> so, I, I saw her like 
months later and she came up and was like hey tim and like hugged me and everything was fine but i mean that it's still super awkward yeah and like i can understand like from her point of view like she probably gets like or probably got like shit for stuff like that like people like don't know that yeah and it's, make, it's probably something that's always like kind of on her mind especially when she's with like kind of new people and yeah. like you know are they gonna treat her weird because of it and like i mean it's got to be something that's like she's very conscious and aware of of that kind of thing probably used to getting weird looks and yeah stuff so i mean you don't want to like you know but i also don't think i even would have known that she had a glass eye if that guy hadn't told me earlier that day <laughs> so it was fresh on my mind also right and another part of the story that's kind of funny is um this girl kind of had a thing for Steve apparently and was like <laughs> trying to like, um, is that why we were invited to watch the Godfather? With I think that, that night was then? part of, I think that was part of it. Um, so I was Steve's ride that night, basically that <laughs> and I was just this like, friend who <laughs> you had made that little remark about. Yeah. He must have told her like, and I think when he told her, he was like, Tim and Steve were making fun of me, were making fun of your eye, or Tim and Steve were talking and said this, and so Steve was somehow in hot water for it too. I remember how confused he was because yeah, she he didn't even like, know he didn't even know what was yeah happening. And then like it was on the ride home, he was just like, <laughs> "What was she even talking about? What did I do?" It was, uh... Yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. But what's funny is like when um, at the end of the movie, when she it's revealed that she has the glass eye and she pulled it out. Yeah. That story was the first thing I thought of. Because <laughs> <laughs> she I mean, she was, the you know, the only person I've ever known. Who. Uh, who had a glass eye. And we probably do know more people who have glass eyes, but you don't really. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you probably much. pass people on the street and, you know, you wouldn't know unless you were really, um, had some extended FaceTime with them. Yeah, or if you stare at them for long periods of time. I'm a starer, so. Mm. <laughs> I think when she, at the end when, um, you know, it's the big reveal, like, oh, Paul, it's the killer, and she's like, she says she lost her eye uh, to someone who's playing doctor with her. And it's like playing doctor, that's basically like... I, I, it's a weird term because you think, like, oh, playing doctor, they're just fooling around. I guess yeah, like, like experimenting sexually with each other. Right, that's the first thought that But at the same time, mind. it's like, was some guy like, I'm going to be an eye doctor when I grow up and I'm going to practice on you? Or, like, <laughs> or was it like some some psychopath who like kidnapped her and was like i'm gonna take your eye out and, and she just kind of says like he played doctor on me it's just i mean there's a lot of odd lines in the movie that, um but she's shot and killed before she can explain herself yeah which i don't think she really needed to be killed in the circumstance like she was just like she took like two steps forward towards mark and then, she, just, she, and then they just shoot her, and it's like she, you know, it's like she her. wasn't a threat. 
shoot her in the if you have to shoot her. I don't know, shoot her in like the leg or something just to like get her down and then <sighs> But that's movies for you. Well that's movies. Those stupid movie things. One thing that I thought was, was interesting about the movie, um and its depiction of the killer, is that unlike um the girl who knew too much or the bird of the crystal plumage, like we get pretty good view of of the killer in a few yeah. scenes and they're wearing a mask or, you know, like a, a, you know, a red garbage bag on their head, essentially. Yeah. It's like part of the raincoat. Like, <laughs> yeah. Turns. Like hood, like yeah. kind of turned either way. Um, and this is kind of like, it's interesting to see it in this movie because that like the, the trend of like, you know, the masked killer um, hadn't really taken off yet. Well, the film that, um, well, not the, the, the Jalo that Baba did after The Girl Who Knew Too Much, uh, Blood and Black Lace, that's really the introduction to the Jalo of the masked killer. Hmm. Um, what kind of mask was that? It's like a, st- a stocking over the face. It reminds me of the blank in Dick Tracy. Okay, gotcha. Um, but, uh, yeah, usually, you know, but in most of them still, you, you, you'll see the hands, mm-hmm. but it's odd to see like the full figure. Yeah. And it reminded, and it was funny cause we watched the movie on Friday the 13th and it was kind of reminding me of the, the first Friday the 13th movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and just how clearly that movie was inspired by the Jalo films, um, it really does feel like it's it's a continuation of a movie like Eyeball. And, I mean, the whole, like, the evolution of, like, the slasher genre, it really, like, comes from the Jalo films. Like, when it, it's like these European films when they got to North America, and they, they became things like Halloween and Friday the 13th and Black Christmas, mm-hmm. which we'll be watching next week. Um, the one American, or well, not even Amer- the one North American film this month because it's Canadian. Is it Canadian? Yeah. Hmm. Um, which had that's had a huge effect on slasher films. John Carpenter saw it and was inspired to do Halloween. Hmm. Um, and you, it just like if you were to, um, and it's got John Saxon in it also. Yeah, <laughs> like the girl who knew too much. Um, if you were to take out the soundtrack and just have people like dubbing in voices you'd think like oh we're watching an Italian t- yeah like, totally and I think you know like I mean maybe like Friday the original Friday the 13th movie you wouldn't think that just because of the setting because mm. the, the the camp setting feels like that's a very sort of American kind of yeah idea um, but it, I guess like the I don't know even just like the kind of a random detail but like of the the raincoat like the poncho raincoat kind of thing reminded me of the there's a guy wearing like a yellow like poncho raincoat thing in Friday the 13th I'm not saying there's like a direct connection but like it just one of the it was one of the things that really reminded me of Friday the 13th and kind of like just the aesthetic of it was very similar um and like re- really until 
still the early 80s, but once Jason gets the mask, mm-hmm. then it becomes, like, all, all the slasher films, like, there's still some, like, POV and stuff, but it's really just, like, here's our, like, anti-hero. Yeah, and they don't bother trying <laughs> to, like, hide him yeah. in the, you know, by... In all of in all of the death scenes, it's like we're gonna see Jason full body. We're gonna watch in, him like do it. And in the not... handful when you don't see him, it's almost like, are they trying to make us think it's not Jason? Like, right. What's yeah. the point and of like, this? Exactly. Like yeah. we know it's. I mean, and, you know, like Wait, in one of the, the sequels, it's not Jason. I'm not gonna tell you which one, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's it's nice to see a movie like this and really see where the like it it really is the perfect bridge from like the girl who knew too much and like Friday the 13th, mm. I think. It kind of fits like pretty much right in the middle there. Kind of if you took both of those movies and blended them together with you know, a really poor script. <laughs> you might come up with uh, with eyeball. The um, the tour guide was an interesting character. Yeah, he was like a sadist. And it was very, it was very odd. Just the way, like his maniacal laughter. Mm-hmm. It was like, almost like they were trying too hard to make you think, like. He's a weird guy. He could be the killer. Yeah. This, I mean, the um, the red herrings in this movie, I think, work a little better than in some movies. Because it's like, that one, the tour guide, you're pretty sure, like, clearly he's not the killer. That mm-hmm. would be, like, too obvious. Yeah. But it could be Mark. It could be Alma. It could be the Reverend. Yeah. And the Reverend was one that I feel like they did pretty well introducing him as like the red herring because the first in the first death we see like the Reverend is the one who first discovers the body. Right. So later when they're kind of like really sort of forcing the idea that like maybe he's the killer because mm. when he goes to visit um, the girl in the hospital and disappears when the guard leaves and you know or yeah. when the receptionist goes and gets the guard or whatever um i was thinking of that first scene thinking like well i mean he he was the one who discovered the body like it's probably it's probably not him but it's weird that they're kind of making us think that it is so maybe maybe it really is him i don't know they and even before that they kind of i was getting suspicious of him before they even really tried to force the idea that he, maybe he was the killer. Um, but it was never really like much of a, an option in my mind. But then, um, I mean like the big like climax of the film when they go to the, the, uh, the old castle. Yeah. Um, like, we know that he's on his way there to see Naiba and has something to do with something in the photo. And then, you know, we see the cop side of it. And um, they say, like, oh, the suspect is uh, on the way to the castle. 
So then they go to the cat because they're looking at that point. Right, right. They know it's Paulette, and they're going to see Paulette. Yep. Um, but the audience doesn't. They might not necessarily. They did. Put that they together didn't. Yet. Yeah, they didn't say who it was. And um, it reminded me of it's it's done much better in another film in the Silence of the Lambs. Oh right. When there's yeah. the big lead up where like spoilers for Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, uh, I was gonna, I'll try to say it in a way that it's not a spoiler. I don't know. Uh, Jodie Foster's character is. Uh, can you set it up? I'm not sure how to word it. Jodie's Jodie Foster's character is um, approaching a potential suspect in the the case that she's trying to figure out. Right. And um, we, the audience, at this point, we know that this person is the killer. And so we're like, she's in a very vulnerable position in this part. And at the same time, like the, uh, there's like a SWAT team basically being put together. That's like, they're like, we know where the, where the killer really is. And they're going to, uh, to bust in on the, uh, right on him. So basically Jodie Foster's character goes into this house with the killer and, we're cutting back and forth between her in this sort of vulnerable position and the SWAT team about to bust in the door. And it's made to seem like it's the same location, but in fact, it's actually the SWAT team is in the wrong spot. And they're, they're busting in the wrong house. It's very skillfully done. It's one of the great like thriller scenes in film. And, um, yeah, like when I compare it to this sequence in Eyeball, it's really only <laughs> in the sense you're that doing like, Jonathan Demi a great disservice. <laughs> it's really only in the sense that like, oh, they're heading to the same location, <laughs> and the audience thinks and that there's they're a, for one guy, right? Then, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean that is a great moment in Silence of the Land because when you realize that the SWAT team is in the wrong house, you just suddenly know that like. There's no backup for Clarice. For Clarice. Yeah. She's all alone in, in the true den of evil. But, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a story for another time. We should do a Hannibal Lecter month. That's the only one I've seen. That's so. the only one I've seen. Cool. I've heard great things about Manhunter. I've heard middling things about, about the others so. yeah red dragon now red dragon is like a remake of manhunter right that's like the i think so i don't know for sure but yeah i mean we could start with manhunter then watch silence of the lambs then hannibal and red dragon and was there another one i don't know there's a tv show now called is it just called Hannibal? There was a TV show called Hannibal. That's about Hannibal Lecter. There's a TV show. I didn't show. know if it there's was a TV like show on right now. I can't remember what I it's just, called. I, I saw the title, but I didn't know if. It's funny because there's there at the same time a show debuted about Hannibal Lecter as a prequel to the Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. And in the same season, a show debuted about Norman Bates. Bates Motel, right? Yeah. Again, as a prequel to Psycho. 
Um, Did this one work? Because when they tried it in the 80s, I think it didn't last. They had like the pilot episode. I think Base Motel is still, I think it's still going. I don't don't think it's been canceled yet. Hannibal has gotten really, if that that is your real name, um, (laughs) the Hannibal Lecter show has gotten really good reviews. I haven't seen it yet, but um, yeah, maybe if we watch all the, the Hannibal Lecter movies, then I'll have more of an interest in seeing the show it's interesting when they do that with um films like to have it like a tv series about like like a location or like certain characters in it like and have it and i I always thought it'd be interesting to um if stephen king did a show um and it was just like castle rock Mm. and like even if it wasn't necessarily like any of like the main stories have taken place there um but if it was just like, I don't know Castle Rock would be sort of like a like like Stars Hollow in uh, Gilmore Girls. I don't know anything about. Gilmore you don't Girls. know Gilmore? Oh man, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, Gilmore Girls is just delightful, <laughs> and uh, it takes place in a small town in Connecticut called Stars Hollow, and there's just all these like eccentric characters. And um, but anyway, you couldn't use something like Twin Peaks. Yeah, or Twin Peaks, too. Something like that. Your mind immediately goes to Gilmore Girls? <laughs> I like Gilmore Girls. Okay. Well, I, I I just never... <laughs> I don't know. I just sort of lumped it into the category of, like, you know, oh, that's, like, Seventh Heaven and, you know, I don't know, these cheesy kind of, like, family shows. Yeah. Well, I mean... I don't know anything about Gilmore Girls, so... <laughs> Well, all right. Well, Gilmore Girls. You know, what? I'm not gonna explain it. Just if you, uh, yeah. you can look into it if you want. It's on uh, uh, eleven o'clock every day on Family Channel. Um, I so. don't have Family Channel. Well, you, do you want to? Do you want to borrow the DVDs? No. Okay. <laughs> I don't own the DVD. My sister has the whole. Se- I haven't watched the last season yet. Uh, I don't like where it's going. <laughs> but uh, anyway. <laughs> But yeah, just the idea of like um, taking a location and some characters from some of Stephen King's novels and just having like an ongoing. Story yeah, I mean with that them. that that could work. That would make a lot of sense, actually. Or even doing a thing where like instead of having to like take a a book and make like a two-hour film or something, have like oh well, this season on Castle Rock we're doing needful things, and next season it's going to be insomnia. <laughs> And you have like mm-hmm. you know like twenty something hours to tell the story. Well, they've they're kind of doing something like that with um, American Horror Story. Where That's based on a book? No, no, no. It's not oh. based on a book. But it, the idea that like it's all one show, and um, I actually haven't watched American Horror Story. But my understanding is like each season is its own self-contained story. Mm-hmm. Um, but they all kind of take place. Like each story in each season is kind of like they are, they're all in the same sort of world, I guess. And I I know like the, there's like they they maintain the same cast, and I think they play different characters in each season. Oh, that's cool. Um, so like they'll keep the cast members, but in each season they like they change roles. Um, it's like a stock company. Yeah, something like that. But I don't know if there are certain characters that carry over, or I'm, I I don't know. But um, that seems to be working. That sort of model seems to be working out for them. Um, so something like what you're talking about, you know, could actually be something that a TV network would think is a good idea because 
there's you know American Horror Story to kind of base it on, mm. where it's like each season is its own story. Um, but in what you're saying, like you know, you it's, you'd set it in the same place, so you kind of have that more uh, carryover, um, a familiarity there. Um, I've heard good things about American Horror Story, but I, I always see, and this is this goes back to like when we were talking about Spielberg like a million hours ago yeah um like sometimes i i can i can get a bit like snobby um i guess or snobbish i should say in the sense of film um i'll see things on facebook people are posting like oh tonight's episode of american horror story it was so amazing and i can't wait till the next episode of american horror story and it tends to be people who i don't they don't actually like they're not interested in horror mm-hmm so it has me like, oh, well, people who don't like horror movies like American Horror Story. And I don't know if... And it's something that, like, since Scream came out, I feel like a lot of people have just had to deal with this fact. Like, there's going to be a lot of people now <laughs> who don't like horror movies, but they'll like, like, these big things. And, like, well, sometimes they are good. I I mean, I think, like... I bet they, like they, wouldn't, they wouldn't watch Eyeball. Right, but, I mean, maybe they would. I mean, like, because... It's on. It's a TV show, yeah. and I think for a lot of people, like that's an entry point because they're flipping through the channels and it's just kind of on, and they can like kind of, you know, watch it that way. Um, I might be coming at it from the point of view of like you know like they kind of get hooked, and if that's their introduction to horror, then maybe they want to like you know, maybe they become more interested in in other things in the genre. I mean. You know, it's all good, whatever, you know, whatever people like. Um, it's that, I mean, it. it's that kind of elitist mentality yeah. where it's like, you know, oh, they don't really like horror. Like, I like horror. I've seen all the horror movies. You just watch this show. You're not a real horror fan. But it's, I think it also has to do with just like the fact of like growing up in the pre-Netflix era, even the pre-DVD era, the horror genre of all the genres was like you had to seek them out. You had to go find those movies. You would read about them in Fangoria and like different books and stuff, mm-hmm. but they weren't gonna come here. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of them didn't even get to America, let alone Glens Falls. So you're just kind of like, like bitter now that everything's available, and you're just like, maybe partially. I don't know, <laughs> but it's, it just seems like like back in my day, we didn't have this Netflix <laughs> and internet and IMDb to find out <laughs> where I can get a movie couldn't order a dvd on amazon i had to wait eight months for the library to get crappy vhs laser disc i remember hybrid <laughs> i own several vhs bootlegs of laser discs so. <laughs> so, yeah, and several go. several of them have just japanese subtitles on yeah, them. yeah i think my copy of cat and nine tales but the first one i had before i got the dvd had japanese subtitles um, <laughs> I don't know. What uh, what other films would you compare Eyeball to? As far like not like outside of like the Jalo film, like um, that sort of like trashy, like not necessarily good but really entertaining, enjoyable film. Oh. Before you said tragedy, I was going to say Murder on the Orient Express. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see that. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I don't know, like Piranha. But you're not. You're saying like See, I think Piranha's well made, and I think Piranha like knows Piranha's in on the joke though. Yeah, I guess. Well, we're not yeah. Joe Dante's Piranha. Yeah, I'm talking about the okay. original. I don't. I haven't seen the new. Version. Yeah, I um, heard it was good. Some of the people who did a high tension, I really liked high tension. But. Oh yeah, I forgot about high yeah. tension. That's yeah, that's a cool movie. They also did the Hills Have Eyes remakes, which I haven't seen. I haven't seen those either. Um, or wait a minute, did I watch? I might have watched the first one, and I don't remember. Oh, well, that's a good but, sign. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so movie not within the horror genre. Like something you would be like, oh, we should watch this in Tim's basement, or like that kind of... Um, <laughs> but not a horror movie? No, it could be a horror movie, just not like... In the... Not a Jolly. Jolly. Oh, not it's a Jolly. Like, you know, like if somebody was like, if you're trying to convince somebody to watch Eyeball, you'd be like, well, if you like this, you'll love Eyeball. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like. I guess the first thing that pops into my mind, just in like the, I mean, we already talked about Basket Case. Kind of reminds me of it, just in like the the level of like, the production. Mm. value i guess the production quality and, and like the you can tell that it's like this low budget thing and it's like but it's not really like that because i mean basket case has a heart basket case has a whole other thing going on that's like it's got characters that you're invested in i, I mean i guess so I mean, what? you're not invested in, in the plight of Dwayne. his name Dwayne, right? and belial belial yes. and the girl I guess I feel bad for the girl when she's being raped by Belial. Pretty spoiler horrible. alert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, spoilers. A lot of fucked up shit goes on in Basket Case. Um, and there we go talking about rape again. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. My brain is pretty fried. I'm I've been up for a long time. I'm thinking I should go to I should go to sleep soon. Okay. I think it's about time to wrap up this podcast. We've been going for a long time. Yeah. Uh, we kind of had double the. We did like a double cast. <laughs> double. Double cast is what we'll call it. Trademark. Double cast. Um. So next week Christmas episode we're gonna watch black christmas which is not technically a jalo film nor is it a black exploitation version of white christmas <laughs> like sort of like black dracula or black elijah or black shampoo or the black godfather right any of those kinds of things um who would they cast in place of bing crosby in the place of bing crosby Huh. I don't know enough about black exploitation films to really know. Uh, like an actor that would be like the. Who would be like a crooner, I guess. Yeah. Who, well, not necessarily a crooner, I guess, because it would be seventies music. I don't know. Did Isaac Hayes ever do any acting in those films, or was he just a soundtrack guy? So maybe Isaac Hayes would do that. No, that sounds good. I'll go with that. Oh, yeah, I think he was. Did he play Truck Turner? I don't know. Oh, he was in um, 
He was in uh, Escape from New York. Okay, so Isaac Hayes as the Bing Crosby character, who would be the Danny Kay character. Sounds good. But yeah, I don't know. Let's, let's, let's not cast that imaginary movie right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like, let's wrap it up. But first... Yeah. <laughs> let's flesh out this cast a little more. <laughs> uh, Pam Greer as the Vera Ellen character. And yeah, I don't know. Um... Yeah, anyway, next week, Black Christmas. Um, Bob Clark's other Christmas movie. Yeah, the from the director of A Christmas Story comes the Christmas movie that you will not be shown for a 24-hour loop on TV. Um, maybe it should. Maybe this year, instead of Christmas Story, they give Black Christmas a little more love. I haven't seen all of Bob Clark's films, but I think Black Christmas is his masterpiece. I think I've only seen those two as Christmas uh, series. <laughs> if you can call two movies a series. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us for another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Matt. I'm Tim. We'll see you next time. 